If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the first chapter, and follow along with me at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. The greatest story ever told. I want to introduce some things. I'm not a Scrooge or anything, but I just want to bring something to your mind. In the 1600s, the pilgrims who settled in New England, they made it illegal to celebrate the Christmas holidays because they wanted to protect the sanctity of Christ's birth. In the 17th and 18th centuries, German immigrants introduced the idea of Christmas as a child-centered holiday and a time to give gifts to each other. Then in the 1840s, when Christmas entered New York and Boston's big cultural centers, they commercially aimed the holiday at children as a time to give gifts to the youngsters. And overnight, it became a great marketing opportunity for all the retailers to cash in. The Germans and Catholic Dutch introduced the Americans to the image of St. Nicholas who helped the poor, while for others it was a time to party and get drunk. Then Charles Dickens, famous Christmas carol, reached a broader American audience while the retailers got rich and richer. Then being Crosby come along with White Christmas, and then many of the songs came along. For example, Santa Claus is coming to town. But all of this gave Christmas a happy mood. Immediately, stores in major cities across America reinforced the standardized image of Christmas by using massive holiday displays to create mood. The retailers know how to get you. Then the pressure fell heavy upon the parents to buy lots of gifts for their children, and that feeling of guilt was absolutely intentional. 
If you don't buy gifts for your children, your children won't have a good Christmas. And you would be a bad parent. Society fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And the secularization of Christmas was fully intentional and ever so subtly. Jesus was from the center of the holiday right into the hand of Satan's agenda. The gift-giving frenzy of Christmas with all its added characters of Rudolph and Frosty and the Grinch and Scrooge and Gizmo and poor Kevin is home alone. For conspicuous consumptions, it all became the holiday, the sacred birth of Christ. It all became a conspicuous consumption, unequaled revelry and shallow materialism with its proliferate spending. Have I made you feel guilty yet? I don't mean to. But we got to understand what's going on. There's another power that's trying to turn Christmas into something unlike the birth. Unlike a Savior has come. Unlike Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody's in another mood. Which gradually overshadows the lessons associated with why Jesus Christ was born into the world. While Santa Claus has now taken center stage in the celebration of Christmas at the expense of Christ, can you imagine in 10 years from now, at the rate that we're going in this culture, what Christmas will look like in 10, 15, or five more years. You may even be forbidden to bring up the Christ child. That's right. That's right. There's an agenda out there to remove the sacred things of God and our Savior and His Word to remove it from our thinking. Why do you think they took prayer out of the schools? Amen? And look where we are today. My point is this, let the world into our Christian holidays, let the world into our churches, into our marriages, into our homes, and sooner or later, the world will figure out a way to remove the Son of God from our thinking. I want to recapture those profound truths about Christmas that get overlooked more and more every year. Truths that are inspiring, full of hope, and absolutely heartwarming. Truths that stand head and shoulders above all the religions of the world. No religion can even come close to the story of the birth of Christ. In verse 23, Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah and says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child 
and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Christmas is a story all about how God is going to be with us. It's spectacular. It's true, and it's life-changing. Yet the world's critics continue to reject the greatest story ever told. They will admit Jesus was a good man, one of the prophets, but they can't accept his deity. And more importantly, they can't accept his authority. They can't accept his judgment. They can't accept his wrath for those who reject the Son of God. That's why you see everybody doing their own thing today. Everybody looking they want to look. And, 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 you know, somebody wants to be a cat. Somebody wants to be a dog. Somebody wants to be this. Everything. All kinds of rules. All kinds of common sense have been thrown out the window because authority has been removed from the message. They tell you, well, Jesus was a good man. He was one of the prophets. But they can't accept his authority. And yet, that's the magnificent truth of Christmas. This Emmanuel was and is and will always be in control and will always be on his throne and will always have the last say when this world comes to an end. In Matthew 6, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, his disciples asked him, who do men say that I am? And the opinions of Jesus were the same back then as they are now. The disciples answered, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But his disciples they could have easily given an ugly answer to Jesus because they knew what the word was out on the streets and the reports of all the idle gossip and the slanders who called Jesus a glutton and a wine-bibber. Others mocked him as a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Others snared at him at the carpenter's son. And some called him a devil. There are millions of believers, just like a lot of people in Jesus' day, who are bystanders who know not the power of a changed life. There are millions of Christians walking around, telling everybody they believe in God, telling everybody they love God, but they can't get beyond their habits, they can't get beyond their sin, they can't live a holy life. And yet they're claiming that he is the son of God. He's my savior. I love him and he loves me. We're a million miles away from what Jesus brought us on that Christmas morning. Religion, man's way of trying to get to heaven. It's not going to work, never will work. How many people do you know who claim to be a child of God but they don't have any witness 
of a changed life. They still use the Lord's name in vain. They still cheat. They still lie. Amen. They still have envy. They still have jealous. They still have revenge. And yet, God came into our world to change all of that. Think about it. But let us see Jesus through the eyes of a born-again experience and let his word with the conviction of the Holy Spirit pierce our hearts with searching purity and his tender pity convict our souls and we shall know for ourselves and not until then that we are in the presence of God. But if we merely look at Jesus with an unchanged heart, We just look at him and we behold him like everybody else. He's just a man. He's the carpenter's son. He's just a prophet. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, he's more than all of that. But meet him face to face in obedience to his word and in fellowship with his spirit and you will know yourself to be meeting the very self of God. How did Moses, how did others in the word of God, how did they overcome the might of Egypt and its pharaohs? The Bible says in Hebrews, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He's invisible. We can't see Jesus today. We can't see God today. But can you see him? Through the Spirit, can you see him? Can I see him? Oh, yes, and it is a wonderful thing to behold. Thank God. The same question that was asked of the disciples is asked of us today. Every soul stands high or low as it acknowledges Christ. To have lived in this world, to have lived a life and labored and loved and never to have seen the Lord is to have missed not only the prize of life, but to have lost everything worth having and certainly to have lost one soul. But the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who has confessed Christ in truth, has entered into the kingdom of God, he has seen the splendor and the glory of a spiritual world. I thank God we see the splendor of a spiritual world. We come into church, we hear the singing, we hear the preaching, we hear the choir, and our hearts are lifted up together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Thank God we're not left without the witness of the Holy Spirit that lets you and I know that this thing is real. And when we come into a service, we don't know what to expect. And if God gets to moving, somebody gets to crying. Somebody gets to smiling. Somebody gets to raising their hand. Somebody gets to saying amen and hallelujah. 
Thank God for the presence of a living God this morning. Amen. Go ahead and you clap a little louder or somebody else catch on. It was necessary. It was imperative that Jesus should be born of a virgin. It was impossible that Jesus should have a human father. If he had a human father, he could never be the son of God. So the Holy Ghost came on and the angel told Joseph, your wife is conceived and going to have a child by the Holy Ghost. God kept this thing spiritual, holy, and above and beyond whatever any man could think. Yet, he must not be born even of the virgin until she has become a married woman. You notice the angel showed up Joseph couldn't take Mary as his life, at his, as his, uh, if Joseph didn't take Mary as his wife, everybody would have said he's fornicating. And the Holy Ghost stepped in and he had to rearrange that. And he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to marry your wife, your woman. And all God was doing was protecting the sanctity. He was protecting the sanctity. How wonderfully then the incarnation honors and sanctifies and sets it apart. What? Womanhood, wedlock, parenthood, childhood, and especially motherhood. Do you know how many people today are just living together? They're having kids together and they're not married. It's become common today to shack up. But the Holy Ghost would not let that happen in Mary's case. How wonderfully then the incarnation honors all of these things. Every move God made in the redemption of man was carried out with the utmost impeccable behavior in accordance with the highest standards of holy living. Not one jot or title of his holy word was violated as he was becoming the savior of the world. Now let's go back to our text, verse 20. Let's read it. What's it say? Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost. The seed was by the Holy Ghost. Jesus was conceived purely and divinely. The egg was from Mary, but the seed was by the Holy Ghost, not by a man. Joseph never consummated his marriage till after 
Jesus was born. Here's something to ponder. Deuteronomy 5.9 says, God is giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel who were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And God says in verse 9, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generations of them that hate me and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This text is not saying because the fathers have sinned, God is going to take it out on the kids. That's not right. But there's a lot of people that read this scripture and they read it the wrong way. They say the sins of the father are going to be visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. But what it is saying is when the father's sins are visited on the children, it is because the children are sinning themselves. We're not lost for anybody else's sins. We're not lost for Adam's sins. We're not lost for anybody's sins. We're not lost for our parents' sins. It's our sins and our iniquities that have separated us from our Lord and our God. God doesn't hold anybody accountable until they cross the line. God's judgment is really deserved by the persons who willfully commit their own sins. But also know this. The fathers whose evil influences encouraged or influenced in the wrong way their children to sin, they will be judged by God for that also. Now here's something the ladies might like. The Bible never says the iniquities of the mothers. Nowhere. Ladies, don't run out of here saying I knew it all along. Now I got Bible proof. All the bad stuff comes from my husband. That's not what that means. Well, here's what's magnificent about the birth of Jesus. Iniquity is passed through the seed. It's passed through the father. So Jesus was born of a woman, but not of a man. Why? So Jesus could be fully human and fully God. He was God because Mary was conceived by the Holy Ghost. That babe wrapped in swaddling clothes was holding the deity and the humanity of Christ at the same time. That's the most astonishing, astounding, breathtaking, miraculous, and shocking thing this world has ever seen. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means now God is with us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Among all the seasons of the year, Christmas has become that of gift giving. But the truth is, the exchanging of gifts has reached a point to where it is overdone. Though the original idea behind it is generous and beautiful, We should be celebrating and thanking God, church, for his unspeakable gift. 
Can you imagine if Christians everywhere had their minds gratefully absorbed with the gift of God's Son in the spending and the sending and receiving of their Christmas presents? Can you imagine what a wonderful, holier month the month of December would become? The sanctity would not be lost. And I want to commend this congregation because of the plays we do and the songs we sing. Aren't those Christmas carols beautiful? They are ordained. They they are inspired. They tell the story and they tell the story right. But I, I appreciate our congregation and the way that they keep Christ centered throughout the season and throughout our services. Our culture has so spoiled the Christmas season by all the competitive buying and selling, rushing and straining that many folks cannot see nor comprehend the power that was wrapped up in those swaddling clothes. Many have forgotten the Savior in this season. Their thoughts are more on the table in the dining room than on the smelly stable. They cannot hear the singing of the angels for the boisterous voices of the inn. They miss that oh holy night and the wondrous guiding star in watching TV and its program stars. Don't let the culture drag you away from your Lord. Christmas is why Christianity is head and shoulders above all religions in the world. Religion, it's a cursed thing. It's an awful thing. Religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Christianity, the wonderful story, is God's attempt to get to man. No other religion in the world can say our founder is God. Think about that. No other religion can say that their founder is God. Oh, it's Muhammad, it's Joseph Smith, it's this one, it's that one. We are the only religion that can say that our founder is God. Think about it. Our founder raised from the dead. Our founder created the world and all its solar system. Our founder created humanity. Male and female created he them. Our founder's grave, our founder's grave is empty. Our founder liveth and abideth forever. Period. If the JWs come to your door and tell you that, you know, this is the guy that started it all, and this other guy in Elmira, well, you know, he lost, the, he lost the tablets. How do you lose the holy tablets? Nobody can say what we can say. Our founder is God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, just as Jesus was born of an incorruptible seed, Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost, no man had anything to do with it. 
Likewise, when we were born again by that same Holy Ghost, we also were born of incorruptible seed like Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls, how do you do that? By obeying the truth through the Spirit unto genuine, unfeigned love of the brethren, See that ye love one another with pure hearts fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Matthew says in verse 23, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. How is God with us? God did not send an angel. God did not send a prophet. God himself brought the good news himself. Deity became human flesh. There was no other human being anywhere that could ever redeem us. It had to be something outside of this world, beyond this world. And it had to come from the creator's desk. Thank God for that. God couldn't send anybody but himself to redeem us. Nobody else could do it but Jesus, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. Here's a great story. A fellow who got a speeding ticket had a friend who was a judge and asked him if he could take care of his speeding ticket. How many of you have done something like that? Raise your hands. Bunch of phonies. (laughs) The judge said, yes, I'll take care of it. A few weeks later, he asked the judge if he took care of the ticket and said, thanks for dismissing that ticket for me. The judge said, oh, I didn't dismiss it. What do you mean you didn't dismiss it? How did you take care of it? The judge said, I paid it. Well, the guy said, I didn't want you to pay it. That's how a lot of people think about God. I didn't want you to pay it. I wanted you to do your judge thing. The judge said, let me ask you a question. Were you guilty? The guy said, well, yes, I was. Well, then justice demanded that the penalty be paid. And the judge said, if I'm a righteous judge, I can't dismiss the charges against you, but I can pay it myself. That's what God did for every one of us. Nobody in this world was able to pay for our speeding ticket. God had to come down from heaven himself and get the job done. Way too many souls think that God is just going to dismiss the charges against them because he's a loving God. You know how people talk. Oh, the man upstairs. Oh, God, you're my friend. Can you take care of my speeding tickets? Can you take care of my little sins, my rebellion, my refusal to take you as my Savior, as my Lord, 
You understand how busy I am, Lord. I don't have time to worship you or pray like I should. I'm just busy with all my domestic work and family duties. You understand, don't you? The Word of God doesn't say anything like that. It says to every one of us, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Nobody's going to drag sins into heaven. Nobody's going to take their baggage of sin and get through heaven or get into heaven. Because God came up with a plan. We were born of incorruptible seed. And John says, as long as that seed remains in you, you cannot, will not sin. You know what Jesus said in many ways over and over again? He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Thinking like this does not comprehend the awful cost that Jesus paid for us to be saved. The creator, he had to become the creation. He grew up in total dependence upon humanity to take care of him. From the moment he was born, the authorities, the evil authorities, the governments, they were hunting for him because they heard there was another king in the land and that was an offense to Caesar. And so they thought they were going to kill him and they come up with a plan to find the baby. And Herod had all the babies two years old and under. He had them all murdered. That's how ruthless. And don't think things like that won't happen again. When men get away from God, you have no idea what you're going to do. But he depended on human beings. God who just spoke the world into existence. Just spoke the solar system into existence. Just spoke the stars into existence. And the Milky Ways with millions and millions of stars. Created it all with just the movement of his hand. And yet puts himself in a position where a mother and a father... And others have to take care of him, have to protect him, have to raise him up. We've never seen such humility. And when he came into the world, he came into the world through a barn with animals. Why was it necessary for him to become human? John tells us in his gospel in the first chapter, in the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus Christ, by the way. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's God with us, folks. 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If anybody comes to you and says, we don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, we don't believe all that stuff, just read to them 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit or every individual that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You got preachers standing in the pulpit everywhere talking about the Antichrist that's going to come during the Great Tribulation, which that isn't coming either. Foolishness. One of the blessings about Jesus being human is he knows, Justin, you can come. One of the blessings, put some heat on me, get up here. One of the blessings about Jesus being human is he knows how we feel about everything. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus came into this world. God came in this world and took on human flesh and now knows all the feelings that you and I have. Stop and think about that. He knows what it is. God knows what it is to be rejected to be lonely, to be hated, to be scorned. That's why the Hebrew writer said in the fourth chapter, seeing then that we have a great high priest, thank God, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. God knows what you're going through. He knows when your heart is broken. He knows when you're lonely. He knows when you're down to your last step. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our problems, our heartaches, our trials, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us come boldly then under the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. See, we can't go to Jesus and say, well, Lord, you don't understand. You don't know what it is to be human. Oh, yes, he does. He knows more what it is to be human than you being human yourself. Here's a prophecy over 700 years before Christ that captures the humanity and the deity of our Savior. I love it, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. That means a human being was born. For unto us a son was given. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the divine Verse 23 in our text says it all. God with us. So my question to you is as I close. Honestly. And for real. Is God with you? Is God with you? 
I have to answer that question all the time. Is God with me? Is God with this church? Is God with our singers? Is God with our teachers? Is God with our preachers? If God is not with us, we can do nothing. And this was a prophecy 700 years before Christ. Eternal Son of God, holier than the holiest of the angels, the Son of God in the midst of the throne, one holy night, enters our race by a real human birth. He had to be one with us so as to really represent us and redeem us. It had to be another human, had to die. That's why God came up with a plan. A child is born, a son is given. He had to meet us on a human level. Thus it was a necessity that he experienced a human birth. I'm through. Oh, what a gospel. What a story. What a gospel that brings to needy human sinners. Listen to the angels again. Unto you is born this day a Savior. Yes, unto you and unto me and every one of us. A Savior has been born. Now let's change it and make it personal. And say, unto me is born this day a Savior. He is no longer the babe in Bethlehem. He's no longer the boy of Nazareth. He's no longer the young prophet of Galilee. He's no longer the cross or on the cross or in the grave. He is the living and ever-to-be Savior who this day stands at the heart's door of every unconverted sinner and says, Behold, I stand at your door and I knock. Jesus wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to help you. He doesn't want you to experience alone all the emotions and all the heartaches and all the deep troubles of humanity. He wants to be there to hold us by the hand and walk us through and across the rivers and over the mountains and through the valleys. Here's what's amazing about Christmas. When our risen Lord ascended, he carried to heaven our humanity in a far more glorious form than had been given to us in the fall. The one who now shares the throne with the eternal Father is one who wears the form of a man. And in the ultimate consummation, when it's all over, all his redeemed people will be presented before the throne of God as wonderful individuals and replicas of that man. And that man is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
man will never, there will never be another planet, another world. There'll never be anybody that will be on high as a level as human beings. But God even all uh, uh, escalated and, and brought humanity up to a higher level. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to be in a human form of some sort. Wonderful. Glorious. Maybe I'll have hair then. What a message. And when you look out here and see what's going on, all nations that forget God are turned into hell. We see it every day, all 24 hours a day on the news. How much evidence do you need to know that mankind is not capable of helping himself? A savior is born this day and he shall be called Jesus for he shall save us from our sins. From our sins. Glory be to God. Choir sounded good this morning, didn't they? The kids, the specials. Thank God for the talent. Thank God for what God has given us in the Church of God of Licking County. And to all of you that are joining us via live stream, we appreciate your attendance. We appreciate your love. And we pray that this church will continue to be a blessing and an inspiration to everybody that tunes in. Hallelujah. Remember my wife in prayer. We're going to the James tomorrow, one o'clock. She'll probably be admitted. So just remember her in prayer. In the meantime, answer the question, is God with you? Let me tell you something. If God's not with you, you'd be a fool. You would be out of your mind to say, well, I'll just wait for a more convenient day. That day may never come. And there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. God bless you. Let's Would sing. you stand, please? Don't, don't forget our Christmas program. It's going to be at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. And then Christmas morning, we're going to bypass that. Because so many people do their breakfast and they're opening their gifts. Oh, there's that word again. But anyway, have a wonderful Christmas. And we'll see you Wednesday night and bring a bunch of folks with you. Let's keep Christ in the center of these holidays. <laughs>